Welcome. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, we've been doing something in this series. I don't know that we'll continue it, but at least for this series, I've actually kind of dug it, and so we're going to do it again today. Uh, and that's simply to stand for the reading of God's Word. Um, so if you would stand with me. Um, we're going to do something that's uh, a little bit more uh, high church, uh, liturgical, even though we are definitely not a high church type of church. We're a very low church, chill, casual, come as you are. Um, but today, uh, we're going to read, uh, I'm going to read the passage, and you're going to stand for the reading of God's word. And at the end, I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will say, thanks be to God. All right, cool. We are continuing our first Peter series. We are in chapter two. I'm going to be reading our text This morning, chapter 2, verses 11 through 25. Dear friends, Peter writes, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves to the Lord's sake to Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God, because they are conscious of God, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The word of the Lord. You may have a seat. Um, So as you can tell, as I read through that, uh, it's a pretty straightforward passage that doesn't need a whole lot of explanation. Uh, So this morning, I figured we would just pray, and then we would sing a few more songs. Um, uh, I've honestly uh, not had a passage of Scripture that I've struggled with more, um, probably in the last 10 years of preaching. Um. I started studying this passage, usually I have a week because I, I preach uh, a lot of weeks, but last week Austin preached, and so I had a little bit more time. I started studying this last week, and, and I've been wrestling with it for over a week and a half now, and uh, I, I'm going to give you what I think God wants me to give you this, this morning, um, 
but I, I, I'm not promising you that this is going to be a super fun, this is going to be a hard teaching. I'll just tell you that right now. Um, I wrestled with it, uh, so much so that I actually called uh, Gary, Dr. Burge, who's on our teaching team, um, literally one of the foremost New Testament scholars in the world, and I just said, dude, what do I do with this? This is, this is a hard one. Uh, so he and I talked on Tuesday, and uh, he offered me some thoughts. Uh, I'll share a couple of them with you today. Um, but he's actually going to be here next Sunday teaching the second half of this passage. Uh, this passage really starts in chapter 11 and actually kind of goes through about halfway through chapter 4. But there's really two chunks that are, con- that are really connected um, it's broken up in, in the beginning of chapter 3, verse 1, and, and Gary's going to kind of start right there and, and keep moving on to verse 7. I get the kind of front half of that. Um, so I just basically uh, told Gary, I said, look, whatever I screw up this week, you can just clean up next week. And so that's kind of what I'm going to go for. Uh, hopefully I don't screw anything up too bad, but we're going to do our best to engage uh, with God's word um, and have some, uh, I think, quasi-tricky conversations. No, not quasi. They're like legit tricky. Um, it's really important, though, before we dive into talking about like how we honor the emperor, especially when we understand that the emperor was probably either Claudio or Nero. If it wasn't Nero already, it was soon to be Nero, who was one of the cruelest emperors in the Roman Empire of all time. How do we talk about what Peter has just said to slaves? especially understanding our own American history? How do we engage with the text in this way and let the text speak for itself, but also try to do our best to understand it? Before we can do that, I do think that it's super important that we remember what Austin taught us last week. Last week, uh, Austin shared with us what Peter started this whole conversation with that he's just transitioned to here in verse 11 by reminding the people that he's writing this fledgling church that's made up of slaves and uh, many people who are at the lowest rungs of society wives as well which I'll let Gary deal with next week before he begins to address them with how they're to respond in an increasingly hostile society, he reminds them of who they are. He does it in verse 9 most eloquently. They are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That is powerful language. Especially if you are a nobody. Especially if you have no rights. If you are a foreigner, an exile, a slave, a wife in a patriarchal society where you don't have rights and privileges, certainly at least not the same as a free man. You are God's special possession. And he didn't just say that to the folks back then, he says that to us as well. Austin reminded us that God is taking us as followers of Jesus, 
living stones, and he is building us into this temple. Collectively, we are the people of God. We are the royal priesthood. We are God's special possession. And also, individually, you are as well. One of the reasons that we are passionate about our gathering is because we believe that when the body of Christ gathers together, that Christ as the head of his body is uniquely present with us. It's one of our main values, awe and wonder. It's a foundational value for us as a church. That We actually learn about this from the passage Austin spoke on last week. We are that temple, the place where God meets earth. The place where heaven and earth Meat is found here among us and in us as individuals. And that's the context with which Peter now turns his attention to what we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live in this world. So, this is who we are and who they were. Chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, the place where heaven and earth meet, the place where they come together but they were also Christians whose religion was not legal in the Roman Empire at this time. The fact that they believed in one God rather than multiple gods and that they were basically practicing a religion that was not allowed made them outcasts, made them seem different, made them seem strange. And they were also wives with little protection. And they were also slaves with no legal protections. And they were foreigners and exiles, people who didn't belong. Which of these identities was more true? Is it the God's special possession, holy nation, royal priesthood identity? Or is it the outcast? Slave, wife, foreigner, exile. It's really easy for us here in America in 2022 to be like, well, obviously it's the one that God declared them to be. And that's true. It's just really easy for us to say that. It's very different when you're in the middle of it, living it. Which identity is true? Well, they're both true. Which identity will continue on for eternity? The one that God has said. But right now, they're not living in that space. I think there's three things that we need to consider as we engage with this, and this is kind of how I want to break up our morning, okay? Uh, number one, as much as I think that we often assume that America is just kind of like a modern version of Rome, the Roman Empire, like... Rome was like where like culture was created. It was like, you know, where some of the best thinking was coming out of, you know, the, the, the forefront of architecture and fashion. And we kind of think of, the, I think a lot of times America or the West in general as like kind of similar, like, oh, we're, we're just, we're very, very similar. The problem is, is nothing could be further from the truth. While we do carry a lot of similarities, there are some massive differences that we need to address and understand to kind of engage with this passage. Uh, the second thing is that um, Peter's actually going to say some things that are intended to both uphold the society with which these young Christians were living and at the same time subvert it or undermine it in powerful ways. 
And the third thing that I want to look at is uh, the reality that the Bible is interested in seeing society transformed, but not in the way we expect or often want. Okay? So let's jump back to the very first one. Way too often we assume that the U.S., or at least the West, is like more similar to Rome uh, than probably anything else. And so we kind of see it as like, oh, these are one-to-one kind of connections for us, and nothing could be further from the truth. The the reality is uh, what makes understanding the context and applying the text to us today so genuinely difficult is actually how different we are. And much of that is different in our minds, how we think. It's really hard for us to understand the plight of the people that Peter is writing to. I've been trying to wrap my head around it for the last week and a half. But after 48 years of growing up in America with my rights and privileges, I still have a really hard time grabbing a hold of it. Um, I want to look at a couple of passages from the text that I think kind of illustrate this. Uh, Verse 11 starts off and he says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. I know that there are some foreigners in this room. Some of you may even be exiles. Your home country, the place that, that you feel most comfortable, you weren't able to stay in for one reason or another, and you find yourself uh, here in the U.S. These would probably be folks that would fall under in similar categories back then to undocumented immigrants. Uh, most of the folks that Paul is writing to fall into this category. Uh, Rome has conquered most of the rest of the world at this point, well, at least in that general area. They were easily the strongest superpower at this particular time, and many of them had actually been taken from their homes and brought to different places within the empire. Foreigners and exiles, for most of us, we don't understand. We've never experienced that. We don't know what that means, to feel out of place, like this isn't your home. Verse 13 and 14, oh, this one's tough. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. They never got to vote on an emperor or a governor, or anybody else on down the line. You and I, we get to vote every two years if you want to. We get to have a voice. We might not like who wins, but we have a voice in it. Not only that, if we don't like it, we get to protest. That was not an option in Rome, especially for the individuals that Paul's writing to. Very, very different scenarios and understandings. I could preach the same thing, Four years ago, when Trump was the president, and I can preach it as I'm doing right now with Biden as the president, and the same truth holds true. We're supposed to submit in honor anytime, whenever we can. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Same thing is true right now. Governor Whitmer. We should honor Governor Whitmer. And I could preach the exact same thing four, six, however many years ago it was that there was a Republican governor in Michigan. We are instantly connected to our rights. 
and our freedoms. Nothing could be further from the truth to those that Paul is, Peter, excuse me, is writing in this letter. It's really hard to wrap our minds around an understanding of what Peter is saying because it's just genuinely so foreign to us. We also see that in verse 18 when he talks about slaves. Uh, slaves were often treated differently than the kind of slavery that we are instantly imagine in our heads. Uh, we, as here in America, think of the slave trade and slavery that happened in the States. There are more similarities than there are differences, but there are significant differences. In the Roman Empire, historians believe that somewhere between a quarter of the population and a third of the population were slaves. So that would mean if you look around this room, count every three people, one of them would have been a slave. Now, in Paul or Peter's uh, writings, seems to be that even more than one in three is probably a slave. Uh, slaves weren't simply based on uh, race, as was often the case in the U.S., was also, uh, often was actually based on whether you owed money or fell into debt or even often could be your parents fell into debt. And uh, you could have doctors and lawyers, uh, people that were managing large uh, parts of industry that were actually enslaved people. A different time uh, for sure, but slaves still were often seen as property. Much like the South. Uh, you want to know what's super, super uh, ugly and tricky? Verse 18, slaves in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. I hate that verse. I, I don't, I wrestle with what to do with it, to be honest. Um, it's, uh, it doesn't seem right. I asked Gary about it. Gary said, yeah, the way that uh, we have to engage with this is twofold. One, truth is we just, we can't connect our, ourselves to that culture. It's just, we don't, we don't know how to do it. And he said, secondly, um, we have to also look at the full weight of scripture. We always interpret scripture with scripture. So we have to ask what's going on in this space. Uh, Gary actually said, he's like, this is kind of like um, war correspondence. You write differently to someone who's in the middle of a war than you would in peacetime. It's like Paul's or Peter's writing to, to individuals that are engaging with like wartime. No, no, not war were like nations against, it was like Rome against Christianity. Um, We have to come to this passage with a sense of humility, to be honest. Uh, it's hard. And because it's so hard for us to even understand and imagine what it was like to literally have no rights to be at the lowest rung, while also simultaneously understanding who God has declared us to be, it's just a hard place for us as uh, Americans, folks from the West, to get. So I simply want to say we are not like Rome. Um, 
Yes, there are similarities, but there are also some major, major differences that make even engaging with this text specifically really, really difficult. Now, uh, I want to talk about this next thing, which is the second point that I made. There are things that Peter says that are intended to both uphold the society and at the same time undermine it in powerful ways. Okay? So in verse uh, 16, he says, live as free people. Now, he knows who he's writing to. In fact, he's about to explain or say very specifically in just a second who he's writing to. The fact that Peter says to live as free people says some things about what Peter and Scripture believes about these individuals, regardless of their status within the Greco-Roman Empire was. Not only that, um, but in verse 18, Peter actually addresses slaves specifically. When he actually addresses them, no other writers in the Roman world at this time would ever actually address a slave, and almost rarely, if never, also addressed uh, women. And the reason for that was because you would address the free man who was the head of the household, the Greco-Roman household, which was like what society was built on in the Greco-Roman Empire. And the fact that Paul addresses them as individual people tells us a lot about what not only, I keep saying Paul, what Peter does uh, tells us a lot about not only Peter, but about the New Testament's understanding. He believed that they had intrinsic value and importance. In fact, this is why Jesus had died for them. This would have honestly been shocking to this audience. There's a whole lot of other ways that Peter does this when he's talking about wives and husbands as well, but that's going to be for Gary next week. Listen to um, Dr. Karen Jobes. Uh, she's a, a, a New Testament scholar. She wrote a phenomenal um, commentary on 1 Peter. She says this, The Apostle Peter elevates the dignity and self-understanding of the least empowered people of that time, the slave first and then the wife. The Son of God has dignified even the lowliest in society by becoming like them in his incarnation. Check this. While some modern interpreters consider the New Testament household codes to be hopelessly chauvinistic, they fail to read the codes against their contemporary literature which shows that the New Testament writers actually subverted cultural expectations by elevating the slave and the wife with unparalleled dignity. Nobody else writing at this time was doing what the New Testament writers were doing. I know to our modern ears, it still seems incredibly outdated, but when you understand it within its context, it was shockingly liberating what was being said. It didn't matter if you were a free man who was a Roman citizen, or if you were a slave, a woman, a foreigner, an exile, both were actually a royal priesthood. Both were chosen by God. Both were God's special possession. And that would have been shocking language. Peter's writing to a church, though, that's in the midst of potentially getting snuffed out. And so he's trying to help them understand what is most important. And this is where it gets really tricky, especially for those of us who grew up with the kind of rights and privileges that we have come to expect as Americans. 
leads us to our third and final point. The Bible is interested in seeing society transform, but not in the way we expect or often want. Let me talk about this a little bit. Before I do that, though, I want to read another quote from uh, Dr. Jobes, because I think it's really helpful in setting this up. It's a little longer, so strap on your caps, listen along with me, okay? She says, the direct transformation of society's structures, even those that are patently unjust, does not seem to be the goal of Peter and Paul's letters. Can I be honest? That one hurts a little bit. I don't think that she's wrong when I read the New Testament, but I'm like, ah, come on, man. Rather, and this is important, it is the transformation of the believer, regardless of one's situation, that is the primary concern. The implied assumptions of Peter's teaching here, okay, these are the implied assumptions of the teaching that he's giving, is by directly addressing slaves and wives as heirs of the grace of God in Christ, who have moral authority over their own lives equal to that of free men, if followed to its logical extent by a society committed to such teaching, will indeed restructure that society. So it's not as if Paul and Peter in this particular letter didn't care about what happens in society. It's just that wasn't the focus of what they were writing about. And I'll explain why in just a second. Let me keep reading what she says. She says, one of the ideals of, Christian, uh, of Christianity, however, is to write injustice, right? To fight against injustice which seems to argue against the Christian community simply accepting unjust treatment of its members. However, when facing the enormity of the first century Greco-Roman establishment, none of the New Testament writers holds out much hope for changing the ways of the world. Instead, they exhort the transformation of Christ's people, making the holy nation a colony or an outpost in this fallen world. She goes on to say, even Peter is not optimistic about reforming the world. In fact, he assumes that injustice will reign until the Lord's return and that to bear up under unjust suffering without sinning is in fact the calling of every believer regardless of social status. So hear this, because I do think that this is probably a very hard teaching, but I do think that it is the teaching of the New Testament. God wants to transform society by transforming individuals, while we often want to transform individuals by transforming society. It's the difference between God's heart and the American heart. Can I say that so close to the 4th of July? My email address is austin at localgr. <laughs> We live in a society where we hope that we can, by electing the right people and changing the right laws, appointing the right judges, we can transform society and that will transform individuals. But that is not the hope or the goal of the New Testament. The hope and the goal of Jesus is to transform me, to transform you. And that by having transformed people, we and the way that we live and the good deeds that we do would then begin to transform society. Look, we live in a place that, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not anti-America, I love America. 
I don't think there's a better country in the world to live. Fight me on that, I'm cool. I'm not saying that there's not other good countries, I'm sure that there are. Back in 1776, America decided, or Americans, or whatever we called ourselves, that England was a tyranny. And we needed to throw it off, throw off tyranny. So we did. We're like, we're going to create a better country than the English Empire. And we kind of did, right? Just a couple of English folks. Sorry, Wendy. I see you back there. But we look at ourselves 250 plus years later and we realize that we've kind of become the same kind of hell. We think the same thing, too, of our southern slave-owning members of our country from a couple hundred years ago. And we look at ourselves and we think, man, I'm so glad. I would never do that. I can't even imagine and believe. And rightfully so. It's abhorrent. And yet, in our lust for cheap clothes and cheap electronics... There are folks across our globe in the global south and the global east that wind up living in similar slave-like conditions. But we feel a little bit better because, well, they're just not on our shores and we're distanced from them. And all I'm saying is I'm not pointing fingers at anybody else but myself. We have to continually look at who we are and what we've become. Look, you want to get rid of a terrible regime, another one's going to come in behind it. We will not fix ourselves. No matter how well-intentioned we are, we need a savior. This is the message of the New Testament. And this is why the New Testament authors are not super interested in trying to uh, change society. They're way more interested in allowing the Holy Spirit to transform individuals. That's what we have to also care about. I will not say that it is not tricky and hard to hear what Peter says here. It is. But Peter cared way more about the slave who had no legal rights and said, you know what? I know who you are. I don't care what the empire says about you. I don't care about your lot in life. I know that you are God's special possession. You are a royal priesthood. So live that way. Live that way in spite of unbelievable injustice. Be transformed and come alongside another group of transformed people because the people that are doing the injustice need to be transformed just like you were. Nobody gets out of this life without being transformed by Jesus or experiencing the consequences of not having that relationship. And so he says, in a really uncomfortable way for us to hear, you got to lay down your rights for the sake of of the kingdom for the sake of the gospel. And we're like, ah, I don't want to do that. And you know what Peter says? Look at Jesus. That's what he did. He left heaven. He laid down his rights. He put on human flesh. Way worse, as shocking as this is going to probably sound to come out of my mouth right now, than being a slave. For the God of the universe who created humanity to put on human flesh was a just completely different level of debasement. But he does it, why? Because of his great love for us and because he wants to show us where life is actually truly found and is willing to die in our place and now we're supposed to do the same thing. That's what Peter says. 
God wants to transform society through us by having us, number one, submit to our society wherever we can. This is a hard one to hear. Submit to our society wherever we can. Look, if Peter can tell them that they should submit and honor Nero, you can honor Biden or Trump or whoever is going to be here in two to six years. God wants us to transform society by having us submit to society where we can and then to suffer for our society whenever we must. And God wants us to transform our society by serving our society, whatever the cost. That is the model of Jesus. He did all of those things. He submitted to society wherever he could. Does not mean that we submit to everything. Christ is our king. Just as the father was the one who Jesus always did the will of, but wherever he could, he did Even Jesus said to Pontius Pilate, do you ever think about this? Can you imagine? Jesus is with Pontius Pilate. And he tells Pontius Pilate, you have no authority except that which my father has given you. Two crazy things there. One, the fact that Jesus tells Pontius Pilate straight up, yeah, 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 you are not actually in control. My father is. But then he also says, and my father has given you the ability to do this. Jesus left his place of power for us. And he asks us to do the same. We have to be more interested in people seeing and hearing the story of Jesus than defending our rights. This is a hard teaching. This is the part on the journey when a lot of folks start looking for exit ramps. The Jesus path is not an easy path. Uh, They just repaved street in my neighborhood. It's so smooth. Makes me want to rollerblade again. When we're walking through life, I promise you the Jesus path is not smooth like that. Even Jesus said, look, narrow is the gate that leads to life, but wide is the gate that leads to destruction. When we start hearing hard teachings like this, that I'm supposed to lay down my rights, especially if you grew up like me in America, 48 years, man, I don't know how to get this out of my head. It's so hard for me to think about laying down my rights for the sake of the gospel, but that's exactly what we're called to do. The transformation of the individual happens when those of us who have been and are being transformed lay down and die for the sake of Jesus, only to be resurrected with him to show that that's where true life is actually found. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Father God, let it be true of us. Father, for the times that we do not lay down our lives, forgive us. 
God, for the times that we have been a part of systems that have unjustly hurt other human beings, for the times that we have been a part of injustice ourselves, oh, Father, forgive us. God, let us care more about you and your kingdom than we do about our own rights. Help us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.